Well, if you pay attention to things like this, you may have noticed that I tend to preach on this last Sunday of the year. That's happened now for several years in a row. So I think I'm just going to officially put it in my contract that I am the designated last Sunday of the year preacher. Does that sound good? All right. There you go. Speaking of preaching, aren't you blessed by Pastor Alex's preaching ministry to us every week? Yeah, that's awesome. So when I think about New Year's, I always think about resolutions because that's such a part of our culture, right? It's just a, a natural, normal thing as we look at a new year to try to kind of think about our lives and what we can do to be better, things we should stop doing or things we should start doing, all of that. In other years that I've preached on this last Sunday, we've had some fun trying to guess the top New Year's resolutions, and we're not going to do that this year. But I do want to point you to one bit of research that was done by U.S. clinical psychologist Joseph Luciani, who did a study to try to determine what percentage of folks are successful in keeping New Year's resolutions. What percentage of people? What do you think his research found? Any guesses? Zero? <laughs> no, it's, it's higher than that. I heard 10, I heard 22. Okay, okay. All right, here's the answer. 8%. I, I think that is really sad. That's really a low percentage. The reason I bring that up is because I think <clears throat> New Year's resolutions are, are all about, you know, our efforts to improve our lives, right? Grit your teeth, work hard, tap into your willpower, try to be better, right? That that mindset, that mentality in our culture that is so prevalent, I think is, is kind of all about that. It's like, just believe in yourself and work hard. And whatever you set your mind to do, you can accomplish, right? Don't we hear that all the time? Students, isn't that the message you're constantly hearing? Everything you need is right here within you. Just believe in yourself and go for it and you'll be successful. Right? You not hear that all the time? Well, if the statistic that I just gave you is indicative of reality... It's not true, at least not for most of us, right? 8% are actually successful in doing the things to improve our lives. Well, Jesus gives us a different answer. 
And today I want us to look at what Jesus says. We're going to take you to Romans chapter 5, verse 20, through chapter 6, verse 4. If you're not familiar with the Bible, Romans is the premier document on Christian theology. Through the book of Romans, Paul kind of systematically talks about the problem and the solution in Jesus and its application for our lives. And this passage that we're going to work on today, I think is so profound. And I believe if you will listen, Jesus will speak to you today in a way that will change your mind and change your life. So, you're ready to dig into God's Word? Let's just read it out loud together, can we? Let's read this passage. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So let's dig into this. Chapter 20 says, The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. What does that mean? Well, I think in order for me to explain it, I need to help you with the context. The law refers to the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law. And earlier in the book of Romans, Paul deals with the idea of the law in chapter 2 and the first part of chapter 3. You see, the Jews felt like they had an advantage because God had given them the law. And Paul says, mm, not really. Because the law just shows you that you can't live up to it. Look at what he says in chapter 3. Verse 20, this is kind of his conclusion about the law. He says, therefore, no one will be, be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. The law is kind of like making a New Year's resolution. It's, it creates a standard by which we can measure our performance. Is that a good thing? Well, yes. Until we prove that we can't live up to it, and then it becomes a source of frustration and failure, right? So when Paul said the law was brought in so the tr trespass might increase, basically he's saying, the law just shows us how messed up we are. It makes us aware of our failure 
and our sin. Kind of like the New Year's resolution thing. It's good, but then inevitably, what happens? We fall short. We don't pull it off. Then we feel bad. And then the enemy jumps all over that, right? And says, you are a lousy failure. You are never going to amount to anything. You're never going to get it right. Just quit. Anybody heard that enemy voice in your mind? Yeah. That's what happens. And Jesus said we shouldn't be surprised because he said in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So then we're left in this place of failure, place where we're tempted to quit. That's kind of the bad news part of this text. But there's good news ahead. Let's keep reading. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wow. Do you see that good news? God's grace goes deeper than our deepest sin. I mean, think of the most evil, despicable, awful person that you can imagine. When that person comes to your mind, understand that he or she is not beyond the reach of God's grace. This is so important for us to embrace that no matter how many times we fail, no matter how far away we get, God's grace is available to us. And not only for us to embrace, but for us to help others understand. In my 40 years almost of ministry, I've had so many broken, hurting people tell me their story and they're so overwhelmed by guilt and shame. They cannot imagine that God could forgive them. And I often take them to this verse. And I say, that's not true. That is not true. God's grace is sufficient for you. God loves you, and it doesn't matter how far you've gone, how many times you've failed. There's love and forgiveness in the heart of Jesus for you and for every person. Yeah, that's a good time to say amen. Praise the Lord. So in light of God's amazing grace... Paul, in chapter 6, verse 1, asks a question. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning 
so that grace may increase? It's a fair question, isn't it? I mean, if it's true that we're always going to be forgiven, then let's party. We're good. Right? Kind of reminds me of a bumper sticker or a little sign that you may have seen. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. You all seen that before? We just talked about how wonderful grace and forgiveness is, right? Thank the Lord for His grace. But you know, every time I see that, that, that kind of troubles me. And I, I admit, I may be overreacting. But to me, it seems like that what is being said is like Christians aren't perfect. We're only human. We're going to sin. You know, we'll fall short. I mean, it's a good thing to try to live our lives the best we can, but, you know, what's important is just to remember we're forgiven. There's no real difference between us and people that aren't Christians except the fact that we're forgiven. And I think on a deeper level, this troubles me because it seems to imply that we can't really change. That God's transforming power isn't real. And I think that falls way short of what the Bible teaches. And we're going to see that. Look with me. Verse, tw verse 2, look at how Paul answers his questions. Question, he says, by no means should we go on sinning so that grace may increase. By no means, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Paul says, we died to sin. How can we keep living in it? That old you is gone. And then he uses this word picture of baptism to talk about that. Look at it. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. So in a few minutes, Sean Inneking is going to be baptized. Pastor Alex is going to dunk him under the water. Now, I know this is Family Sunday, so kids, I have a question for you. What happens when you go under the water? What can't you do? Breathe. Right. I know this is a morbid thought, 
But what happens eventually if you can't breathe? You drown. You die. Well, that's what Paul is saying. You died to your old way of life. You died to the attitude that says, I'm in charge. We'll do it my way. He said, no. You, you died to that. When Pastor Alex put Sean under the water, it's symbolic of Sean saying, hey, I resign as the CEO of my life. I wave the white flag of surrender. Jesus, you take charge. And that act of surrender, consecrating our lives to Jesus and Jesus' response of filling us with his spirit and cleansing us with, from sin is called entire sanctification. Now, we don't hear that word a whole lot, but I know you old-timers have heard it a lot. Well, that's what Paul is talking about here. When I think about that, it reminds me of a song that Carrie Underwood recorded back in 2005 called Jesus Take the Wheel. Any of you remember that song? It was a popular song. Look at some of the words to the first part of this chorus. Jesus, take the wheel. Take it from my hands because I can't do this on my own. I'm letting go. See, that's what Paul is saying here. Why would you want to go back to your old life of sin and shame? Be who you are. Be the deeply loved child of God that you are. Be the graced, forgiven, free from sin person that you are. I love verse 4 because it puts the focus on Jesus. We were therefore buried with him, Jesus, through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So he's putting the spotlight on Jesus. Think about that. Do you remember the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus is anguishing over his impending death. And he's praying to his father and he's saying, Father, are there any other options? But eventually he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus walked that road to the cross and gave his life so that we could be forgiven. Was dead and buried in the grave. Paul is saying that is the picture for us. Just as Jesus surrendered his life to fulfill God's plan for him, so we surrender our lives to the control of Jesus. And that's the first part of this covenant between us and Jesus, this symbolism of baptism. But let's talk about the second part. We know the story. 
Jesus didn't stay in the grave, right? He rose again on the third day in victory to usher us into this resurrection life that is characterized by death to sin. Right? God's power in us annihilates the power of sin over us. That's the symbolism. I love it when he says that we too may live a new life. We're not talking about just being forgiven and sinning and being forgiven and sinning and being forgiven. We're talking about living a new life. So when Sean comes up out of that water, he's coming up symbolic to live a new life that is focused on Jesus and following him and allowing his power to live through Sean, living in resurrection power. Whew. Man, that is so, that is so exciting to me. It's awesome to think about. By the way, when that moment happens and Sean comes up out of that water in just a few minutes, I want to hear us applaud and cheer so loud and praise to God for what that means in that young man's life. So when that moment comes, you be ready, okay? Because I want to hear some loud cheering and clapping, and I want us to celebrate what God's going to do. Well, before we do that, I do want to address one issue that I think is so misunderstood in this whole conversation. You see, I think sometimes people get the idea that this whole, this whole surrendering to Christ, being filled with the Spirit, being cleansed from sin, is some kind of magical thing that just makes it automatic from that point for us to continue to live in God's power. That would be nice. But that's not how it works. You see, God never takes away our freedom to choose. Even after we're sanctified, sanctified to use another old-fashioned word, God doesn't take away our freedom to choose. So that surrender, that crisis moment of surrender, must be followed by continuing to surrender over and over again. We learn to listen to Jesus, to respond to Jesus, to put our trust in Jesus, to love him in ever-increasing ways. So you see, we have a very significant responsibility in this. It's a full partnership. I mean, think about what God does and what we do. 
we repent, we put our faith in him, he forgives us, he reconciles us to him, we surrender our lives to him, he fills us with his spirit and cleanses us from sin, but we must continue to stay in that place of surrender. That's what the passage that follows this passage is all about. Paul talks about that, and we're not going to take time to unpack that, but I'll just say Paul says we must choose each day to live by the Spirit. So it certainly isn't all me, but it's also not all God. You see what I'm saying? It's a full partnership. Me doing my part, God doing what only God can do. And that's how we live this life of resurrection power. Does that make sense? Well, I pray as we're on the doorstep of 2020, that Jesus has spoken to you today. I pray that you're encouraged by the fact that you don't have to rely on your own willpower, your own resolve to help you become the person you really want to be. God can do in you what you can never do on your own apart from him. I pray that if you haven't already done so, that you will choose to surrender your life to Jesus, to allow his grace and his power to help you be changed from the inside out. If you haven't made that surrender, you can pray that prayer when I pray in just a minute. That would be the greatest thing you could do as you prepare for a new year. Now, I know lots of you have surrendered your life to Jesus. And I think Jesus is saying to you, okay, keep surrendering. Stay in that place where you, like Jesus, say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, Jesus. So that old bumper sticker, Christians aren't perfect just forgiven, that is so below how God intends for us to live our lives. And so I pray that each of us, as we launch into this new year, will just allow Jesus to help us become more and more like him day by day, Allow us to fulfill his call on our life and help us this year truly make a difference. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for speaking to us today through your word. You are so faithful. We are so grateful 
for you speaking to us, and we're grateful for this message that you bring us today. That we can live a truly changed life, that we can live in your resurrection power. Jesus, I pray that if there's somebody here right now that is at that moment where you're convicting them and inviting them into this relationship, I pray that you will give them the courage, even right now in this moment, to raise that white flag to resign as CEO of their lives, to invite you and your power into their life, to put you right at the center of their lives. Jesus, I pray that you would help them to do that in this moment. And Lord, for those of us that are in that relationship, I pray that today you will encourage us, that you will challenge us not to just roll up our sleeves and try to do better next year, but to fully stay surrendered to allow your power to help us be what we can never be on our own. Jesus, I thank you for Sean thank you for this baptism moment. I thank you for what you're already doing in Sean's life. He's only been a Christ follower for seven weeks, and I can tell the difference already that you're making in his life, and we praise you for that. Help us to celebrate in this wonderful sacrament. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. We pray in your name. Amen.